This is the Retail Podcast, your B2B show for the best thought leadership in the industry, bringing you education, information, and inspiration, only on MarketScale. We're on that third mega trend where consumers really have taken over the shopping channel. They're walking into stores a lot more informed. We don't hide from the fact that retail is difficult. You know, every day is a challenge, but that excites the customer. They love that. Hello, everyone. Welcome to the podcast today. I'm your host, Tyler Kern, and joining me is Daniel Wagstaff. He is the CEO of Pocket Stop. Daniel, thank you so much for joining me today. Thanks for having me. It's great to be here. It is great to get a chance to talk to you, and welcome to the MarketStale Studios. It's been uh, fantastic. Yeah, you've got a uh, fantastic facility here. Some, a lot of smiley, happy faces, which is uh, nice to see in a workplace. Well, it's really nice to get to do this podcast face-to-face, and so I'm, I'm happy to have you here and happy to get a chance to talk to you today. And today, we're going to be talking about personalization in retail and how brands can really make their customers feel like, you know, kind of like VIPs when they walk through the door. And I think that that's an important thing in retail these days. Um, So, Daniel, let's just start off and talk about why personalization is such an important thing for retailers today. Certainly. Well, uh, we can actually even sort of expand it even further, just say personalization in general. As human beings, we all want to be feel like VIPs. We all want to be treated uh, like we're special. Um, there's nothing better than feeling like you can skip the line, uh, uh, you know, at the TSA pre-check. We all love to have that TSA pre-check. And it's all about uh, me feeling like as an individual, I'm recognized that I am getting um, personal treatment, special treatment, um, because we all hopefully feel that we've got value. Um, so when we're talking about uh, personalization in retail, we're talking there about my ability to say I'm loyal to you as the brand. So there's certain brands that I certainly buy, as do my family, that we're loyal to, and uh, be that everything from groceries through to clothes. And being that loyal customer, my hope is that do you recognize me? The questions that I'm asking myself, not necessarily um, uh, in a in an outward way, but I'm saying to myself as a, as an individual, as a consumer, does this brand value me? Do they know that I exist? Do they know when I show up? Do they know that I am a frequent shopper and this is the place that I come on a regular basis? And and I hope that they treat me that way. And there are certain brands that just get it right, that they, uh, a company like Nordstrom's, every time I go there, whether they know me or not, whether they've got a VIP, whether I've got a loyalty card there or not, they make me feel like I am the most important customer when I go to Nordstrom's. Hence the reason it's a great place for me to go to to shop. Um, But how can we use technology to make sure that not everybody has the ability to provide the customer service, the the number of staff that that Nordstrom has, not everybody is aiming their their product price point at the same uh, group of people. So how do we uh, make people feel that they're special? How do we make people feel that they're a, a VIP? And technology is obviously helping to do that. And it's not only helping us to do that in one hand, and, and, and I'm sure we're going to get into today how it helps, but on the other hand, it's driving us to almost make it a requirement. And what I mean by that is the e-commerce. So we've got bricks and mortar is obviously in an e-commerce is a debate that has uh, been raging for a number of years. We see things happening uh, on the uh, the news and it almost seems like it's a lot of doom and gloom. It feels like the only thing that gets reported are this store closing or that store closing. And it makes us feel sometimes, uh, you know, from a, from a news perspective, are, are we going to suddenly wake up one day and there will be no more malls and there'll be no more stores? Where am I going to get my stuff? Right. Right? Am I going to have to get everything online? <laughs> uh, but what's actually happening, the truth of the matter is, uh, but even predictions, it, by 2023, so, you know, in, in another sort of four or five years, they're still only predicting um, that the forecast will will be that e-commerce will account for about 21% uh, of all total retail sales. So there's still 80% of of sales are still going to happen in that bricks and mortar locations. 
So we need to make sure that we, as our share of those bricks and mortar locations, how do we make sure that my customers feel that they're valued, make sure that they spend the, their dollars, their, their limited um, but valuable dollars with me? So how do I make sure that they know that I care about them? Hence the reason we come all the way back to personalization. I can't speak to you about things. I don't want to speak to people that don't have kids in the household. I don't want to speak to them about kids' products. I don't want to speak to a male all about female products. So I have to make sure on its very simplest level that I'm sending you relevant content that you care about. And in turn, I'm also recognizing your likes, your dislikes, your preferences, your previous history with me, your previous relationship. I'm gathering all that information and I'm using that information to help you, guide you through the shopper journey, make sure those dollars are spent with me and ultimately they're spent wisely and that you're getting the value that you deserve for your for your dollar. And that's also efficient use of a marketing budget too, right? Like if you are trying to market a certain product, you don't want to spend money, you know, trying to target a specific audience that might not be interested in your product, right? Like you don't want to market women's clothes to me because I don't wear them. So that's, that's not an efficient use of marketing dollars. So not only is it about trying to make the customer feel like a VIP and like and feel known and that sort of thing, it's also about efficiently using the, the resources that you have at your disposal as a company. 100%. So some of us uh, in marketing um, can oftentimes feel that it's cheaper, that it's easier to maybe take a shotgun approach. How do I just get my message out, blast it out on TV and hope that the relevant people see it? It seems like it's much easier to just do it one way, to put a marketing message out there. And I know when I first started Pocket Stop, uh, that was certainly a, a uh, for my own internal marketing or external marketing process, that was certainly a, a mistake that I made. I believed that it was easier to just have a message that was general and say, hey, lots of different people might want my product, so how do I keep it as generic as possible to reach the masses? Well, what I've actually found, um, certainly myself through through educating and surrounding myself by experts uh, in the marketing field, as well as um, now how we sort of help our customers, is really narrowing down and taking much more of a, would it be a sniper approach rather than the shotgun, um, to make sure that it, the loss that I didn't think about before, that loss being... Um, if I continue to send you irrelevant messages, I'm eventually going to lose you. So it might be quicker in the long run just to put out a generic message, but what ends up happening is I end up alienating potentially half or, or, or more of my audience. So efficiency is absolutely a key part of uh, this marketing and, and, and making it making sure that I'm delivering the right content to the right people. Now, when we talk about personalization, we're, we're, we have to then know who we're personalizing to, which requires data, I would assume. So, I, I, would, I would guess that data is probably a big aspect of what you're doing on a regular basis when, uh, when you're identifying, okay, who is the market for this particular product? Who are we trying to get to? You have to know who your audience is, and that's where data comes in. Absolutely. So, that's the, that's the piece where Pocket Stop has sort of found its niche, really, um, is that the data in general is... Is drive should be driving all of our marketing decisions and, and, and quite frankly, uh, all of our all of our behaviour. Because without that data, it's obviously just conjecture. We're just guessing at this point what you might want, what you might need. So it sounds great to say I'm going to send you personalised messaging, but if I have no data to back that up, then it's purely just a guess. Um, so yes, absolutely. Number one, it starts with collecting user data. 
And, and I guess I would describe that as having there's three sort of types of data that we can use to help provide you with personalization. The first one is obviously your profile. Um, your profile being your name, your age, all the, the regular things that you would expect that to, to be about. Because I've got to know how to contact you. What are your what are your desires of how do I speak to you? What are my, my methods to do that? But overall, I'm starting with your profile. And part of profile is also going to be your preferences. You telling me what it is that you like and that you don't like. So um, telling me whether you've got kids in the household, telling me uh, where you live, uh, telling me the types of car you drive, whatever piece of data is relevant for me uh, as, as the brand, um, making sure that I'm learning about your profile and preferences. The, 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 the real crux of this or, or the, the biggest piece that, that, that has been changed by e-commerce is much more about your behavior. Because while you may tell me one thing about your behavior, that becomes a static piece of information. Now, if you told me in January that you didn't have, you weren't married, you did, you were single and you had no kids, does that mean that situation lasts forever? Now, all of a sudden, I've got an opinion about you as a consumer with some previously given data. But now, all of a sudden, what happens when you're circumstances change. I need to make sure that as a brand that I'm evolving my brand messaging, I'm learning more about you over time. And the only way to do that really is consistently is to leverage the behavior. Now that is what e-commerce has got the sort of the leg up on bricks and mortar because by definition, their relationship is, is uh, established via the internet. And with that, I am be able to watch what you do, where you buy, what you buy, when you buy, how often you buy. Netflix is another example, right? So they always, based upon what I've watched, they recommend other things that I might like to watch. Yeah. My behavior drives Netflix to recommend other shows and other movies that I want. In the same way, we now have, because of technology, ways that we can start to leverage that behavior, that true value, collect that behavior, associate it with an individual, and start to find out um, what is it truly, what is your behavior telling us about yourself? that I can use to provide you that VIP experience and ultimately make it a win-win. Because this is not about the brand having something on the consumer. That's absolutely not what this is about. This is absolutely a win-win. I, as the consumer, want to be um, talked to about things that are relevant. And the brand, as you said before, absolutely wants to deliver the right message. So it has to be a win-win. Do you view what you do then as almost a bridging of the gap that has existed, like you mentioned, between brick and mortar and e-commerce, that e-commerce has all this data with all this context around it, and now uh, you're kind of helping bridge that, uh, I guess, and bring it to retail? Because as you mentioned, people still like to go to stores. You know, People still like that experience of going to the mall and going into these stores and you know picking up products, touching them, you know, interacting yeah. with them there in a physical sense. So, people want to go to the store, but we have to give them a reason to in terms of the customer experience. So do you view what you're able to do then as, as kind of a bridge between those? Absolutely. So uh, you used a couple of words there that, that are key. So number one, personalization has been around for years. This is not a topic or, or a subject that has suddenly arrived on the scenes. Uh, marketers have been um, attempting to and delivering, quite frankly, on the promise of personalization for a long period of time. Technology is just helping us make it more um, accessible to all brands and quite frankly better uh, so but the word that you used there in, 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 in that sort of question was all about experience 
And that is truly what's evolving in the bricks and mortar experience uh, and the, in the bricks and mortar world is, and I go to a lot of different conferences with a lot of my clients, and that word keeps coming over and over again, is how do we provide the experience? Because that is the one thing, 100% the one thing that bricks and mortar locations have that no internet uh, can ever provide is the experience, is the smell, the touch, the feel, the senses that I might get by going into a, um, into a, a shopping center or even to just a single location. So what I consider is that that um, there's a number of things driving these things together. What's, what, what we have done is really taken advantage of or, or, or try to look for where there are opportunities where bricks and mortar locations need help. They need technology, but done in an, in an effective way because they're not the same as e-commerce. So what opportunities and what, what tools can we provide to those locations to help them get a leg up, to gather that data that is so important? And then it's not just about gathering data because you and I could sit here and talk about just how many data farms there are. That's a whole other conversation about how much data is sitting all across the world, but nobody knows how to do anything with it. So it's not only getting this data, but it's making it easily to understand. And then one of the things that we, we should discuss a little bit in, uh, is segmentation. Because once I've got that data, now I have to be able to segment in a consumable way. As much as I'd love to make you the one person that I'm talking to, and I know everything about you and everything I'm talking to is just about you, that's obviously unrealistic. Quite frankly, I'm going to have to segment into various different um, uh, groups to make it manageable that I can deliver the right message to certain types of segments of people. Um, and so experience is a, is a huge part of it. What we do is come in and say, how do I help you? What are the ways that you can collect data? So I help brands walk through many that they are already doing, but what they do is they collect data multiple different ways, but they do it in silos. So they've got this data that is not talking to this data. They have no idea whether the person on social media is also the person in their email list. They have no idea whether the person they're sending the text message to has ever come on property. They don't know those things. So what happens is we've got data and we're getting lots and lots more of it. But if we don't bring it together in a single source of truth, then we lose the power of that data. So that is what we help them do is bring the sources of data that are available to them into a single place and then take and have an actionable system that they can now use that to segment and then deliver the right messages inside of that uh, inside of that system. So you're helping provide a cure to the uh, almost data paralysis that you see nowadays where people just have so much because they know, okay, I have to be collecting data because that's, that's what people do. And if I'm not collecting data, I'm going to be behind. But maybe they, they begin that process without really a full knowledge of what exactly that means and how to you know make actionable insights out of it. We hear that all the time, uh, that I'm, I'm here because my boss told me to. <laughs> we hear that because we had an initiative two years ago, but without a strategic direction. So now I've got all this information. What can I do with it? How can you help us? Um, so yes, absolutely that there are many of those cases. And then there are still many brands that are out there looking to get into it because they're maybe a little bit further behind even on the data collection. So we speak to and, and we hear from a number of different uh, uh, sort of circumstances. But we talked about profile, preferences, behavior. So how do we go about collecting that information? So 
the, the an obvious one. Let's let's start with the obvious one, the one that, that we've been talking about from an e-commerce is through the websites. So even any bricks and mortar store to the, uh, today, anybody really, any business, quite frankly, has a website. And uh, we as consumers are used to, even if we're expecting to go to that location, we're used to certainly on a mobile device, um, more now than ever before, but a mobile device or, or on your, just your regular laptop, going to that website and finding out more information. I'm willing to sign up for things. I'm willing to just this weekend took my wife to dinner and used uh, the website to check out the menu of a few different restaurants that I wanted to choose. I interacted with them. There were a couple there that I could actually book online. So now I'm putting in my information into that uh, into that sort of website to go to that physical location. Now they know more about me. So um, number one is going to be a website. So what information can we collect on you on a website? Well, there's what pages do I go to? So we could walk through all the different things. What pages am I going to? What subjects am I interested in? What time of year am I doing it? What frequency am I doing it? And um, I, again, I think a subject for another podcast is all about the security and the GDPR and all the things that are coming about. Uh, and we again, another one of those tangents that we'll probably talk about at another time. But um, there are obviously things that you have to be aware of, of what you're allowed to collect, what you're telling your consumers you're allowed to collect. So this is not just a, uh, a Wild West free-for-all. We have to do it in a honorable way. We have to do it in a strategic way and an honest way. But there are many things that we can collect through your behavior on a website. Uh, beyond that is is surveys. So that's more about me asking you questions. What do you like? Do you have kids in the household, household incomes, things that we're used to doing? Um, and this strategy to both of those things, because if I provided you with a survey, hey, I, I want you to become my customer. I want to learn more about you. Here's a two-page, three-page survey I'd like you to fill out before you go shopping. That's simply not going to happen, right? We're going to be we're going to be sort of uh, um, exiting that cart before uh, <laughs> you know we, we, before it even starts. So how do I collect that through maybe strategic surveys? questions. You give me something, I give you something. Here's an offer. Here's a discount. Here's an invitation to a specialty event. Um, if you just let me know a little bit of something about you. So a quid pro quo in that regard. So we've got websites, we've got surveys. Of course, another rich form of data is, is ultimately the POS system, the point of sale system, where I'm actually doing my transactions, because that's really where the rubber meets the road. All these marketing messages, really anything that we're doing in marketing has really one sole purpose, and that is to drive the ultimate sale. And so when we can work with brands that have control of and access to the point of sale data, bringing that in, how do I make sure that my marketing and my point of sale data are actually having some sort of connection? Can I show that my marketing has a real ROI? So many things that we can do, again, basket size types of, uh, of, of goods and services that you're buying, uh, frequency of visit, um, things like that. Last but not least uh, from, from our world is what we would call proximity data. Um, and, and we work with a lot of uh, different sort of shopping venues that um, we're all used to now when we're, whenever we go, we get online and we want to be on um, Wi-Fi. Well, that connection to Wi-Fi allows me in a very easy way to give you something, that whole quid pro quo. I give you access to free Wi-Fi and to, to that amenity. And in return, you just simply sort of sign in. Now I know that you're there. So I can now do a couple of things. Number one, check whether my off-property marketing, if I'm bringing that data together, imagine that power. Yesterday, I sent a text message. Yes, last week, I sent an email about an event that was happening today. If I have no way to connect that, if I'm not in control of my point of sale, how do I actually know whether that personalization or simply that big blast, regardless of what I did from a marketing point of view, how do I know that I got any value from that? 
I really don't, unless I can know that you came on site. So we can do that by saying, hey, if you connect to our Wi-Fi, I can now tell you that I sent a thousand people this email message about this event and 250 of them showed up within 24 hours connected to the Wi-Fi and I can draw a correlation between that personalization, that marketing that drove you on site. So those are sort of the main ways that we're collecting data through proximity and marketing. You may have heard of beacons. There's all kinds of different ways mm-hmm. that we can collect proximity. There's that POS data, very similar, but slightly different. Not everybody has control of a POS system. So how do we, we do that? But POS or proximity, surveying and really asking you to give you consumer given data and then ultimately behavior that you have on websites. So that those are the, the main buckets that we help brands bring together um, through that profile, that preference, that behavior, organize all of that data into a usable, um, functionable, and, and quite frankly, revenue generating information. And I, I like that last one, just talking about the Wi-Fi and the connection, because that's a way that people um, almost expect to be engaged nowadays through their cell phones anyways. It just so much of, of our lives are mobile and so much of our lives are connected to the internet. And so Wi-Fi, that, that, that makes a lot of sense. So how can you continue to leverage what you're able to, to get from you know people's use of their cell phones? That is by far our absolute early, our most sexy program it is our most uh, successful program and and the reason i think you you hit it on the head is as an amenity wi-fi is something that i want uh it's something that i go looking for as a consumer i go looking when i'm in a shopping center for example i go looking for that wi-fi because either my current cell phone data plan doesn't work inside of this building or more because my data plan is running out i just want you know speed is better on wi-fi so i actually go access and look for it immediately i now log in it's nothing i have to do i don't have to download the brand didn't have to build an app um, the consumer didn't have to download an app in advance. Right. It's simply they went looking for that Wi-Fi. And so we see about a 98% retention rate of everybody that we gather through these systems because what happens is we use that information, again, going back to what I mentioned before, we want to work with brands that use that information uh, responsibly. So now that I'm on property, I'm here. Guess what? I'm more than happy to hear in an appropriate way about things that are happening, specials that might be available to me, information that I maybe was only going to one store, but maybe three doors down, something that would have been relevant to me, but I might have missed. Now I get told about that. Uh, Again, going back to that personalization, I'm not going to tell you to go three doors down to a store that you have no history with. You've got no preferences, no no behavior that's demonstrated that's where you want to be. Maybe it's a kid's store or, or whatever it may be. But if I've got history of your preferences, why wouldn't you want to get relevant, timely content delivered to you while you're there? I can understand why people don't want to be bombarded when they're at work about what's happening and what they should be doing next weekend. So we have to be very, very careful about how we talk to you as that VIP, that personalization. But that's the last piece that we haven't talked about. Letting the consumer, consumers don't care about what channels. They don't think in terms of what channel are you going to communicate with me today? They just think about brand experiences and how the relationship is evolving and respect that. So why won't we, why don't we let the consumer choose when and how they receive their content in addition to the types of content that they receive? Some people prefer a text message. Some people prefer an email. Some people prefer it via, uh, um, you know, after hours. Some people are open to it at any time. Some people only want that information when they're on property. So we have ways that we can let the 
the brands give the freedoms um, it to to the consumer. It's a, again a relationship. It's a trial. It's an A/B testing of it all. But yes, absolutely. From a from a Wi-Fi perspective, we can allow you to log in. Now I know that you're there, and then I can immediately trigger sort of a segmented and automated information to you on behalf of that brand um, through no other interaction than just the fact that you connected to Wi-Fi. And that kind of connects uh, and and kicks off, I suppose, that customer experience, that customer journey, right? Like I think of uh, when I go to Starbucks and I connect to their Wi-Fi, you know, I hit accept, you know, I connect, and then, you know, there are the specials, and maybe it'll show you what song is playing in the store right now, and I think, oh, that's cool, that's neat, I, I like the song that's playing, it's good that I know that, and, you know, just general other information, and even though maybe I don't I don't stay and I don't look at that for terribly long, now I'm aware of the specials, and now I know the song is playing, and it just kind of kicks off, I guess, a positive overall experience, which then leaves me with positive feelings mm-hmm. towards that brand, even after I've left, so, um, there's that lingering effect, I suppose, of just having that initial positive experience with sure. the brand. Well, that's we talk about the shopper journey. No, no shopper uh, journey is is the same. There's there's many different ways that from 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 thought to point of purchase. Some people and 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 different people act differently at different times and different products. Some people are going to be very diligent. They're going to ask their friends. They're going to do research online. They're going to want to sort of do those things. Others are going to want to go browse and touch and feel as they go through the stores and see what they want. Um, but there's many many different ways to a shopper journey of getting them from um, you know from their couch or, or from from their their location into the store and actually making a purchase mm-hmm. because we have so many different options to us so how do we help encourage you to give you the right information along that shopper journey let's not be too aggressive when you're just maybe in the research stage let's talk let's make sure that we provide you if you're the type of, uh, of, of individual that wants access to lots of different information you just know you want a pair of pants what sort of pants do I want? What sort of color pants? What sort of trend? Maybe I'm giving you a little bit more general. But maybe once I learn that you just bought a pair of certain uh, slacks, maybe I can now start making recommendations about good shirts that go with those pants. Right. Because, you know, if, if it was a, a formal pair of pants, then I want to make sure that I'm recommending formal shirts and vice versa. So the things I'm learning about you can absolutely help me make appropriate recommendations, upsell that's going to be help my bottom line and, and help you with the way that you look when you go out on Friday <laughs> night. Um, all good things. All good things, right? Yeah, yeah. So the customer journey is is definitely varied. Um, but imagine going back to that example for a second about the, the Wi-Fi. So somebody um, comes uh, on property uh, and connects to the Wi-Fi. We, now, we know that they're there. Maybe they tell us a little bit about themselves. Maybe they just tell us their gender. Um, maybe that's all that we know. So the next time when they leave, maybe we now haven't seen them reconnect to that Wi-Fi for two weeks. Why don't we send them some information? Maybe what the first thing we're going to do is send them an email, giving them some information about a particular event. We watch them click. Do they click on specific things inside that email? What are they clicking on? What are they interested in? Were they interested in that Santa event? Were they interested in the, the kids' clothes? Were they interested in uh, you know particular shirts or, or particular types of fashion, particular stores? We can start to gather that information. But what about those people that don't click? Well, maybe we want to send them a text message, a little bit more interruptive, 
Um, so then in that shopper journey, we still haven't seen them two weeks later. Those people we send a text message to with a link to a specific offer. Maybe it's a restaurant offer. Maybe we try to drive them back into our location because we want to send them more information. But a text message is going to cut through the clutter and actually going to vibrate in there. And, and we're going to get about a 98% read rate. So mm -hmm. we have, most people that get a text message are going to read it. So maybe those people that read the email, we see how many of those come back. Those people that didn't read the email, we send a text. Let's see how many of those people we drove back. And so we sort of drive different people as they navigate themselves through the shopper journey. All those that come in, we don't want to keep hitting them about that event because we know that they came. We're great. We, we've, we've, we've done what we were supposed to do. Marketing has achieved their goal of driving those people in store. This shopper journey, of course, starts again, but we don't want to keep bombarding people with the same message. Do you see what I mean? So a lot of it is, is how do we make sure that we customize shopper journeys to drive people from their point of, of thought through to the point of purchase in an appropriate way. Yeah. Yeah. That, that makes a lot of sense. And now I'm starting to kind of connect the dots. And I remember reading not that long ago that I think two thirds of shoppers will research products online before going into a store. So if you have that, um, maybe that data where they click on an email, go, you know, browse around on your website and they've done research on a product and then they come into your store and click on Wi-Fi. Now the fact that you don't have information siloed means that you know that that person has done has been on this process and on this journey, and that really aids in what you know about that particular shopper. So then you can personalize a lot better in that case Absolutely. than you were able to do before when your all of your information was siloed in different sure. areas. Well, yeah, because you mentioned earlier about was this something that we were sort of driving, and, and, and I wish I could say that it was that it was us that was driving. Really, one of the things that that is that is really happening in the industry at the moment is we talked about uh, it, the, the, the balance of e-commerce and, and uh, bricks and mortar. But what we're also finding is brands that were e-commerce generated, started, or have only ever been e-commerce um, that were absolutely anti bricks and mortar because of, of you know, the, the way they felt they could be nimble, they the keep their costs low, things like that. We're actually seeing more and more of those brands actually start to open um, store locations, physical store locations. Sure, sure. Because as a consumer, what was happening there for a while were that there were these bricks and mortar and then there was e-commerce and they were very, very separate. And then all of a sudden, sometimes some of these bricks and mortar locations, let's take Target as a big example, starts to get an online presence. Well, what ended up happening was these two things were not connected. So if I bought something online, I couldn't return it to the store. Well, other than by name alone, there was no relationship between the target experience that I understood when I went, you know, and sort of for my weekly shop and this online brand that I was buying because I couldn't return the two. They didn't know that the, the points weren't even going. And quite frankly, I think there was also some internal battles going on between those people that were doing the marketing for the SEO to drive traffic online. Yeah. They weren't getting any credit if you went online and sort of looked decided what product you wanted and then went into the store and bought the product. The person in the store got the product. <laughs> so they did the store group because they were very separate as an entity. They were getting the credit for that sale and online was missing out. And in turn, sometimes you'd buy something online, it'd come to your house, you didn't like it, you'd return it back to the store. Store was getting dinged for that return even though the the online got the, uh, got the credit for the sale. So as brands, they were very, very separate. They weren't doing a very good job of bridging that gap for us as consumers. But that has really changed over the last few years. That 
I'm not saying that is not still the case, but this seamless experience that we now expect and, and have that what I can do online and offline, and I think Amazon with that purchase of, of Whole Foods uh, and, and all that they're starting to do to drive brands in into that store, uh, I'm really excited to see how that happens. But we're just seeing this need for both. It is a need for for, for most people um, online and offline presence of so bricks and mortar uh, presence. And so as long as we as consumers are treated the same way and it's a seamless experience, I think we will absolutely be um, uh, much more loyal to those brands because we need at different times in our lives to go to one or the other. So. Yeah, absolutely. And you see that with even the behemoth of Amazon as everyone was trying to figure out, oh my gosh, is Amazon just going to drive everybody out of business and all, all this stuff? Well, now you mentioned they acquire Whole Foods and they have some physical locations and they're you know experimenting and all that. It just shows that brick and mortar wasn't dying. It was just, it was just in need of an evolution. Absolutely. Evolution is exactly what it is. Uh, I mean, I was on Amazon the other day looking for some pool equipment um, and I ended up buying it from Leslie's Pools that was down the road from me. Le- you know, they, they have an online presence on Amazon so we can, you know, these bricks and mortar locations have wised up to why, you know, why not leverage the power of this portal to be able to sell my product. Um, and so that happens all the time. But yeah, you're absolutely right. That's um, uh, a big evolution. And I think that we're only just at the sort of the tip of it. It feels like it's been getting faster and faster like a snowball. Uh, and I'm really excited to see what's happening in retail over the next sort of uh, five years because the there's a lot of um, old moving out, a lot of old ways, a lot of old systems, a lot of old um, ways to, to go about doing things and old stores, quite frankly, that just didn't evolve with the times. But there's so many new, fun, exciting things happening um, in all of those same areas um, that I'm really excited to see sort of um, this continue because we are not slowing down on our desire to purchase and shop. Uh, America's not uh, not going to suddenly shut up shop and say, we've got all that we need. <laughs> so shopping is going to continue to be a, a big part of our culture. And so how we go about doing that and how we're treated while we're doing that, I think is, is, is a big part of this evolution. Absolutely. It's going to be exciting to watch this evolution as it moves forward. And uh, I'm excited to continue exploring these topics as we uh, go into the future and do more podcasts. Absolutely. So Daniel Wagstaff, the CEO of Pocket Stop, thank you so much for joining me today and uh, discussing this with me. Thanks very much. Great time.